do a podcast. I'm going out because I need to change my life. Yo, what's going on guys? It's Adam here from the Bordeaux Podcast. Welcome to episode 64. Today we're going to be diving into just some ridiculously deep stuff. Just some ridiculously deep stuff. I think I've titled this Poto the Poto 64 on life and death because, I mean, how do you even begin this? The real reason, the context is because yesterday was the second anniversary of the passing away of one of my best mates. Long-time listeners know uh, I at nauseam reference Matt, especially during podcasts because that's when we get a little more conversational and I can dive in off different tangents and different stories. But it was the second anniversary since he passed away in 2016, so that brought up a lot of uh, ideas, a lot of ideas, a lot of feelings, of course, but just ways of thinking. I spent a lot of yesterday in reflection, uh, paid a visit to his parents, dropped off some flowers, and actually used that as an experience, not only just to connect and have that tribal community connection, especially in mourning, but also to learn, also to learn. And that's, I mean, that's the thing with this photo, guys, like, this is a really awesome contrast. This is a really good juxtaposition to the video that went up yesterday. Yesterday's video was a scorcher. If you have not seen it yet, it's titled The Thing About Meeting Women Is dot 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 dot. And it's pretty much just a short film inspirational thing to kick your ass if you're not going out and meeting girls. And that's that was the accumulation of a lot of work put together in a very short two-minute video, but it's very succinct, it's very powerful. And so I had that yesterday and I, you know, I woke up and I published that and then I had the rest of the day just to think about the journey I've been on and what life has meant up until this point. And then finally, you know, towards the end of the day is when I went and saw Matt's parents. Hold on, let me get some of this water. It's all Mitsu. And so you, you, you got that, that hard dating, you got that hard dating angle coming yesterday where it's just purely about hitting that side of the temple, which as a lot of you guys probably know by now, is what I deem not to be such a huge part of the temple. Like, it's a part of it, don't get me wrong. Your relationships with friends, family, girls, casual relationships, serious relationships, just your overall development socially, social involvement in this world, you know, it's a big part of it. It's a big part of your temple, but it's not all of it. If anything, in the way I view life, it's 25%, right? It's one quarter of it, of this entire dance of what we're going through here. So you got that. And then what we're doing today is something really, it's going to be really emotional. It's going to be really deep. We're just going to get into some stuff that you probably never heard anyone really talk about in this space before. And, you know, I wanted to use this opportunity now when it's fresh, not wait a couple days or not wait a week. And actually, this is not going to go too long because I've got a Skype call in exactly 58 minutes. So I've got to wrap this up well and truly before then. And I don't think we'll go that long because this is not... Uh, tactics. This is just going to be conversation about what I think, guys. And it's going to maybe, for those of you that are dealing with death in your own life, maybe this might help with some angles. Maybe it might help prepare a lot of you young guns. A lot of you young Gs coming up that haven't had to deal with it yet. And you might get some insight for that. So where do I want to begin with this? I think, you know, I titled it on life and death. And I was thinking about titling this on the shortness of life and death to make a play on words off Seneca's on the shortness of life. If you have not checked out Seneca's On the Shortness of Life, that is a, uh, it's a stoic piece of material from an ancient philosopher uh, in Seneca, and he just talks on really the briefness of life and how we need to take advantage and control of the moment we have right now because it's not going to be here forever. 
And actually, that's, maybe that's where I'll go track back. Maybe that's where I'll go track back. And this is going to be all over the shop. My hair's just going to, I'm just uncorking. Imagine we've got a bottle of wine here. I'm just uncorking. You know, when Matt passed away, and I'm not going to get into too many of the actual details, but I'll give you enough to understand context. Uh, Matt took his own life. For those of you that don't know, and it's after a long battle with what was never actually a diagnosed condition. It's what a lot of high level, high team doctors thought was some form of psychosis, some form of uh, schizophrenia. And so, you know, he went into a decline uh, and that eventually decided that he had enough of this life. And and that, that didn't surprise me. Let me say that that didn't surprise me because coming from such a high place that he came from, like for those of you that don't know, you know, Matt, I saw a lot of ways as my mentor in a lot of different ways. You know, we were best friends. We were best friends, but he also taught me so much. And yeah, I taught him a lot as well. So we had that brotherly, as I say, brother and blades relationship. But we were going down this journey, sharpening each other's blades together. So for him to come from, go from a place like that, like I was speaking with his parents last night and, you know, we had this conversation last year on the first anniversary, but we had, you know, stuff was coming up last night. Shit got real deep. And, you know, a lot of the things that his parents are saying, like, you know, it's just so unfair. You know, life is just so unfair. Like Matt had everything. Matt was so full of energy and life and spark and he had the world at his feet, so to speak. You know, why, why did this have to happen to him? Because it, uh, the way that the doctors try to describe it was that part of the frontal lobe in his brain had gone, like it had just disconnected. So all of his, um, connection to emotional and feeling and his sense of who he was just wasn't there anymore. And you know, so I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not angry. I don't, I don't get angry. I don't get frustrated. I don't get upset about, you know, the life that could have been or, or what could have happened or what we could have done together. If you guys hear any random noises, the gardens just come in, so don't worry about that. You know, I don't get upset about any of that because ultimately everyone's decision is their own decision. And if that is the ultimate decision to peace out of his life, then hey, you know, that's that's his decision there. So, anyways, tracking back him. When he first passed away, it was the first time I had ever experienced a real death in my close proximity. Like I had experienced one death before that, which was a childhood pet. Uh, in Max, one of my dogs. And, you know, like a lot of people say, uh, you know, it's not really comparable to compare human loss. And they use that term loss, which we will dive into because I don't see death as loss. You know, it's not as comparable as maybe, you know, your childhood pet passing away as your best mate or your mother or your brother. And, you know, there's definitely, you know, I don't, I don't disagree with that, but I also don't diminish the pain felt, especially when it's a childhood pet that, you know, from the time, if it's for me, it was my first ever childhood pet. And from the time I was, oh, I don't know, like seven or eight, you know, seven or eight up until 20 some years, he was like 13 or 14. He's been with me through all those years. And that was the first time I ever really experienced what death was like for something to that was there all your life and then is no longer there anymore. And that that hit me. However, I had been prepared by the Dow. I had been, now I might, I may have spoken on this a little bit before, but I realize I've never made an actual piece of content discussing my thoughts on death and on life. So I'm going to go into all this in, in case some of you guys may have heard some snippets before, but I remember, I remember we were in the surgery, uh, not the surgery. Um, the, uh, I guess it is kind of the surgery. He was on the table, the operating table, so to speak. 
And, you know, some shit had gone wrong with his liver. And, holy shit, that's loud. Hold up. I'm going to take a pause here because that's so loud that I can't even hear myself. So we'll be back in a sec. And we're back in the game. My apologies for that break. I know you guys didn't feel any break, but the gardener's lawn blower, mow blower was going off. So as I was saying there, Max is, uh, he's on the table and we've got the whole family around and, you know, we know what has to be done and we all want to be present for it. He has to get the, uh, the injection, the lethal injection. And, you know, just, just standing there. I remember my girlfriend at the time was there as well with me. And while the whole family, actually, I remember this, my whole family was directly around the table. So like face, face to it. But for some reason I stood back a step. I'm not sure if that's because I knew I was about to cry and I knew every, everyone else was already crying, but I was like trying to, I was trying to hold a steel tongue. I was trying to keep myself just composed because this is the first time I'm experiencing it and I'm feeling like I've got to stay composed here. Uh, and I just, I just wanted to, I don't know, I just took a step back. I'm not, I don't exactly remember why, but I was, and so the injection comes in, you know, his body goes limp and, you know, you touch him for the last time. His breath goes out of him for the last time and you feel the warmth leave him. And, you know, everyone's crying, everyone's bawling. Of course, I start crying. And, you know, at this point, what you might think and what everyone else maybe is experiencing, I don't really know. I didn't, we didn't really talk about it too much. Probably should have. But maybe other one. It, feel, it just felt like everyone else's tears were from pain or from loss or the fact that we're never going to see him again. But my tears were coming more from a place of uh, this is kind of beautiful. This is kind of joy. Like, this is almost joyful in a way in the sense that I'm getting to experience for the first time in my young life that this idea of non-attachment, this idea of letting go, this idea of I didn't own Max, I didn't all the experiences that we shared together from when I was a young boy walking him walking him down the street and having to kick some other dog in the face because he tried to attack us. That was ridiculous. Story for another time. But you know, it's uh what is it, what else is that ever gonna come up though? I don't know. Fuck it. Anyways, it continued. And you know, got all these um, stories together, experiences. But I'm there in this room and and I'm crying, but I'm crying because it was such a beautiful experience getting to have this spirit with me. And then, you know, we go, we go home. I remember uh, Jay drove me home. I didn't drive home with the family. You know, I went into the shower and I just had a shower and just cried it out. You know, just let the tears out. Now, that was my first experience with death. And what I noticed in that, and the reason, what I, the reason why I wanted to track right back here, because this ties in with my learnings from the Tao, uh, from Lao Tzu, Daddy Ching, 2,500 years ago, that 81 verses, baby. The reason why I wanted to go really hard into this is because what happened afterwards is very interesting and actually it tags into the deeper stuff I'll get into of Matt when Matt passed away, that it was, this was only, was only got better for me in my post, the post-recovery, so to speak. So for the next week, both my mother and my brother after Max was passed away were very, very sad, particularly mum. Particularly my mother was just distraught because she saw both our dogs as children, as part of the family. And I know that sounds, if you don't have pets or if you don't have never been a pet person, but I've grown up with pets and she's grown up with pets and we've all been around animals our entire lives, then they're part of the tribe. Right? They're part of the ecosystem of which is our family. So she was hit very, very, very hard. It's just you imagine like a son being lost. So, you know, she would just randomly break into tears you know, just at any random moment when things reminded her or things break up. But what I noticed after this was that of the entire family, I was definitely dealing with it the best. 
And I definitely attributed this to the preparation of having read through the Tao Te Ching. Now, I want to step off the Mac story for a second and step into this Tao thing because I feel like I've honey dig that enough at this point. To You guys might be thinking now, like, what is this Tao thing? Like, you've never heard about it. Uh, I will go get the book because this is very relevant. At least for those of you that are watching on YouTube. Hold on, Chotamate. Okay, so for those of you on YouTube, I know I've referenced this a million times over, but it's Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life by Wayne Dyer. Uh, Living the Wisdom of the Tao. Now, I know so many of you guys that have picked up this book just because of having ever heard me speak about it, or maybe you've even seen my Books of Wisdom episode. If you go onto the channel and type in the search bar, Books of Wisdom episode one, it's this is the first book because this is my number one book of all time. You know, I've talked about loosely what my, you know, uh, favorite books are in terms of like a top 10, but it's very loose, except for number one. Number one is, has, has been ever since I first read this and since all the books since then, and I've been reading on average anywhere between 30 to 50 books a year, depends on the year, since I started reading, you know, at 18. So I want to say started reading, I mean like, you know, when I started seeking knowledge in that way. And this is still held the number one spot. Now, I just realized that I have not actually set the timer for this camera, so I'm just going to reset this cam. So I know it's a bit of a fuck around, but the reason why I'm referencing this book is because this is the book that first was given to me as an introduction to the Tao. Now, there are probably 10, maybe maybe 8 to 10 very popular interpretations of the Tao. Stephen, and Stephen S. Mitchell or Stephen Mitchell, uh, Deng, uh, Deng Ming Tao. There we go. It's a hard one to say quickly. Uh, there's a few different guys that have put out their interpretations of the Tao. I'm currently going through 365 Tao right now by Deng Ming Tao. And, but I've read this Wayne's interpretation probably four times. I think I'm on my fourth time now. I think I'm like, at this time, I'm like a quarter through, 17th first at the moment. So the reason why I wanted to get that was just to give you guys the visual if you're watching this on YouTube and really just make it really tangible for me here that this was the book, right? This was the book that prepared me to handle death. And I say that with such clarity and confidence that it wasn't any one other thing. It wasn't like maybe some other conversations I'd had with some people or not that I'm sure that I did talk about this with friends before reading this, but there was nothing so simple. There was nothing so enlightening in that way that just allowed me to come to peace with the fact that death is a transition. It's a transition. Now, I don't have the exact quotes I don't have the exact verses. I don't remember which ones they are, but it's actually quite a constant theme throughout the book. There are definitely specific verses uh, and lines on death and the passing of things through the Tao, but I think the number one thing without actually doing a straight quote or a straight take this line, and this is what it was, but the overall feeling that I got from it that first time round was that I don't own my physical body that I come through this physical body, that the consciousness within me is coming through it. So that goes the same for everyone else. That when Matt passed away, you know, Matt, Matt's body passes away, but I feel like the light within him, the spirit within him, the Tao within him that's connected with everything, uh, that stays true and that continues on. Now, of course, of course, this is the balance of Eastern and Western philosophy that part of my mind, uh, part of me, not just my mind, goes so deep into that and buys so heavily into that and I just at a core level really feels that. But at the same time, I also have that pragmatic Western style 
angle as well. That could also it all I also have that angle as well. Well, I don't really know. I don't really know. You know, when Matt passed away, that could have been lights out forever. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if consciousness is just a product of an electrical storm of neurons going around at a hundred billion hundred billion of them going around in your mind and that's what produces consciousness and that we really do have no spirit. I don't know if that's true. And I also don't know if this Tao that Lao Tzu talked about is also the ultimate truth. And I think that's what's uh, beautiful about life in general, that no one really knows. No one really knows. So anyways, that's a different tangent, but it was this book that prepared me for death and prepared me with ideas and concepts of that I didn't own this person. So the idea of non-attachment is so heavily just just laid down, just concrete in this text. And if you have, and it applies to everything. It applies to all of life. It applies to women so much. It applies to not being attached to girls and the, and the fruit coming from them and what that means for your journey and how, you know, you want to tap out so quickly just because this one girl gave you a number and, oh shit, I'm off the journey now, right? You know what? You, you lose, you lose that when I've, that's why I recommend this book and I recommend very few books. I'd very rarely say to people, you know, you should probably read this. You know, people might ask me, Adam, what kind of business books you like? What kind of um, health books you like? And I'll say what I like, but I'm very seldom quick to say this one will probably suit you. Or this one you would do really well off of, except for my very close circle and we know each other. So we're always going hammer recommending books for each other. But this one here, I feel like this is one that should be given to all babies at the crib. Right? All babies at the crib should be given this as a chance, right? Just as a chance. And I'm not saying don't don't go into Christianity or don't go into Hinduism or don't go into Buddhism. All I'm saying is, is that I feel like everyone should be exposed to the ideas of non-attachment, right? Dissolvement of the ego and just living a life full of joy and peace and love, right? That's that's all the Tao is. Like you guys want like a short a short clip of what I really think the Tao is. The Tao and what that really means and translated into English is the, the way, right? It's just the way. In fact, actually, this is a straight awesome segment. When I was at Matt's place last night talking with his parents, I guess not Matt's place anymore, Matt's parents' place, and I was talking to them, I, spe- I sat down for them for like two hours. And at a certain stage, his mom asked me, what was my faith or what was my, actually, no, his dad asked me, what was my religion? Yo, Adam, what's your religion? Well, not that he said yo, Adam, but, you know, that's how I interpret it, of course. And he's like, you know, what? Um, actually, no, the, his straight question was, the, to begin with, was do you believe in God? And my response to that was no, not in the sense of there being a Christian-based being that you would refer to as God. So, you know, this all-powerful, super-imposing being that controls the entire universe, white beard, so to speak. I don't believe in that, but if you... Now, take the interpretation of what the word God means in terms of if you take the image of someone or that being one particular being who has a set of rules and is very concerned of what everyone else is doing on this planet. If you take that away and you say, do I believe in God? And you replace the word God with maybe a way, right? A way, a all-encompassing and omnipresent force that guides all things then yeah, now you're starting to align. Now I'm starting to align with that. Now I'm starting to feel a little more connected to that. And so that's how I explained it to them. And I, that's exactly what I said to them. And I have no problem. And they're like, um, 
they're not devout Christians, but they're definitely Christians. And I have no problem talking with people about openly about this, saying, no, I don't believe in this, but this is how I go. And I feel like as you get older as a dude, you know, young Jays listen to this, you get a lot more comfortable having these uncomfortable conversations. And they cease to be uncomfortable when you've, I guess, put time into it yourself, when you've come to a place of peace with it within yourself. So I'm talking of that and his mom's really getting it because Matt was of all the same style of thinking as is a lot of my friends, just in our core group that not very, I don't know many, no, I wouldn't say any of my core group is attached to any one religion, but we all believe in a way of some kind. Now, they might not be as heavily into Lao Tzu's interpretation of the way, you know, in, in the Tao Te Ching, and just for a quick interpretation here, the Tao Te Ching, all that means is the book of the way, or the way book, if you want to translate it literally. So it's just, and it was just this old dude, right? This old dude 2,500 years ago who just wrote down his, almost a guide to life. And so that's why I want to tack back just a second there. I was talking about why all babies should be given this at the crib. The reason why I think all babies should be given this at the crib is because it's not dogmatic. It's not telling you, you have to do this and you have to do that. And anytime that I feel in interpretations of the Tao, and I hear people interpret the Tao as you have to do this and you have to, Taoists do this, Taoists, you've lost the essence of it. And that's the core thing with the Tao, which is that it's in like the first verse. The Tao that, in fact, is, I think it's not even the first verse, it's like the preface to the book, which is that the Tao that can be named is not the true Tao. So if you want to take just, and then now lose the attachment to the word Tao, the way, just think of it the way, the way that can be named, so the label you try to put on it, that immediately negates its true essence, its true power. So, and I'm saying this to Matt's mom, going, so even though I try, you know, I say that I believe in the in the Tao, I believe in the way, and that helps me to deal with death. But in essence, me even just saying that doesn't really make sense. You know, it's a knowing, it's a knowingness. So that's been a really good spiel on how I came to the place of understanding death in a really healthy way, how I feel like I'm I come to grips with it. And now I, I want to talk about Matt's funeral here. And I have definitely spoken about this in some other podo, but it definitely needs to be said here. So at the funeral, it's absolutely packed. You know, Matt was a really popular guy. He had touched a lot of people. Um, you know, the the I'm pretty sure people were having to stand up at the back. And I've, I wasn't front row, but, you know, obviously front, family's front row, but I was up real close at the front. And I'm sitting there and I've got Jay uh, Jordan next to me. My brother's there. Roy's there. And Jordan at the time as well. I'm not sure. We haven't spoken in a long time. Not properly. He's been traveling all over the place. But at the time, he was of a very similar, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'll, this is the last time I'll say it. When I say Tao mindset or Tao way, just know now what I mean when I say that and that I don't really like to use that term because, you know, Taoists don't really like to talk. And that's another verse that allows you put down that those who know do not speak because we don't feel the need to prove it. We just know. So, but if I, but the way that we use the word Tao is just to re- relate to people who are not in that style of thinking. So, you know, he's really heavily into it. And, you know, while the funeral thing's going on, I'm looking around, I'm checking around. People are just, people, not even his, of course, his direct family is absolutely losing it. Like they're, especially his father, his father is just, in absolute uh, agony, like pain, you can feel the pain. And, but just people like um, his other friends, his other friends from high school, you know, they're all, they're losing their minds as well, so to speak. 
And as we finally, at the end of the way that the funeral ends or the way that after the speeches have been given is that we all walk around the casket. We walk around the casket. And when you do this, you get like a, a bowl of flowers or a handful of flowers that you get to spread over it. And everyone kind of goes around in a clockwise direction. And as I'm going around, you know, everyone, I get everyone's bawling. Everyone's just tears and tears and tears. And, you know, everyone, literally everyone, except for Jordan and I. Now, I'm going to reset this count. Everyone but Jordan and I are having an emotional displacement, if I want to put it as eloquently as I possibly can. Everyone else, and this is, I, I want to, I really want to put this in here. None of what I'm saying here should be taken in an egoic sense. This is not me saying, you know, we're better because we weren't emotionally breaking down. No, don't even get a hint of that. All I'm saying is what it is and what it was and what I'm noticing. And so I'm noticing that everyone is having a, an emotional breakdown. And it's, and this is where, you know, I was about to say something there, but I, I'm almost going steps ahead of myself. I've got to slow myself down. And I am very much aware I've only got half an hour before this next Skype call. So I want to try and keep things poignant at least. This might be a part one. We might do a part two because on life and death, it's a big topic. And I'm, as I'm noticing everyone who's having these, their emotional breakdowns, and I'm not, and Jordan's not either, and I'm thinking that, well, this is normal. I've been to one other funeral before, but I wasn't attached to that person. It was a great uncle, but from a different side of the family. I, had, I never really spent any time with him. And so I, but I had at least seen him before, and I think I went to a, um, another, one other funeral as well. That was like my mom's ex-partner's uh, mother, so absolutely no attachment to. So I... I totally understand it. I have so much empathy. I have so much care for the pain that these people are feeling because it comes from the sense of loss. And I feel like that is the absolute core of it. And when I'm looking at, and of course there are different, there are other different things that play into it, into the terms of dealing with death, but it's the core sense of loss that I feel like really hits people the hardest. And as I'm going around and, you know, it's not like I'm like chipper, it's not like I like have got a smile on my face, but I do have a little Buddha smile. You know, if you guys are on YouTube and you watch and you can see this Buddha statue right in front of me here, and in almost every statue depiction across whether it's a Indian statues or whether it's Chinese or Japanese, Buddha is almost always depicted with a slight smirk. Like it's like a it's like a smirk. It's not a full bearing teeth smile, but it's a smile. And a lot of people have interpreted this in different ways. But one of the most common interpretations is that this little smile that Buddha's always seen with and that people like to paint his image in is his knowingness of the universal truth, his knowingness of almost a universal joke, right? That he is, he is no one, but at the same time, he is everyone. And this can go for essays. People have written essays. People have written theses on just Buddha's smile. So I'm not going to go into all of that, but that's kind of the feeling I have that as I'm walking around, I'm looking at Jordan as well, that it's not like we're bare. It's not like we're maladjusted here. and We're just like psychopaths. We're going around and as we're going around this casket, what we're realizing is that yes, Matt's body stays behind and his body will return back to whether I think he was cremated. So it's in an urn somewhere. And eventually, at some point, it's going to be returned back to this universe, you know, at some point, however that happens. But his essence, his spirit, the part of him which we knew to be unchanging, the part of him which we knew to be part of the eternal, you want to say consciousness, right? Eternal consciousness. 
you know, that's that's gone somewhere else now. It's returned back. He's returned home, so to speak. So we're not we're not having emotional breakdowns. And it's not like we had really talked about this before either. I just feel like we had both done enough study. And when I say study, I don't mean academically. I mean spiritual, spiritual study in this sense to be able to handle ourselves in this way. Now, to fast forward here, when we're in the post-reception, not reception, what is it? It's like it's like, it's like uh, teas and bi- tea and biscuits kind of thing at the end where everyone just kind of gets together to talk. Everyone gets to say their condolences to the family. And there's a lot of... Now, this is probably the first funeral for most of the young guys in this room. You know, in this room, and when I say the first funeral, I mean the first funeral of someone that they knew personally, like someone that they knew that they went through high school with, that they spent a lot of years together with. And so I'm, I'm really interested in looking at people's emotions, looking at how people are dealing with it. And for the most part, apart from the people that weren't really close with Matt, but the people that were close with him, yeah, emotional breakdowns. They're having emotional breakdowns here. Now, that goes for saying that that goes without saying for the family, but what I'm finding really interesting is just seeing his his friends that were maybe in a similar connection to me, but you know I and I want to say this with absolutely no ego whatsoever. But I really do feel like Jordan and I knew Matt in a way that no one ever else did. Not his parents, not his sister, not his closest tennis mates and Matt was a big tennis player not his closest of other friends from different circles. And I'm sure they knew him in a way that we didn't know him either in their different groups, right? But no one else, as far as we know, sat down for four hours from 12 a.m. to 4 a.m. to discuss the universe, right? No one else went through the journey of self-development. And, you know, one day, Matt, what I'm doing right now, we we had plans to do together, right? Matt was going to be, we were going to do this shit together. We were going to coach guys together. We were going to come up together. So, you know, we I was there for his first ever day game interaction. I dragged him into his first ever interaction with this female busker and he was freaking out, right? I was there when you know, he pushed me out at night, you know, we, we had these nights, you know, I was there for the bowl sessions, Roy, you know, I'm talking to Roy now, like where we would, you know, we'd go to Roy's place and we sit in the hot tub and we'll go and we sit in the hot tub and we'll just talk about social dynamics. We'll talk about girls, we'll talk about life and, you know, like, I feel like Roy Jordan and I knew him in such a way that no one else knew him. And so and so, if anyone has reason to have an emotional breakdown at, at this quote-unquote loss, then it's Jordan and I. It's Jordan, Roy and I because we just knew him in a, such a different way. But that's on surface level. So that surface level that you would think just looking from the outside, I would have every reason to be an absolute mess. However, it's because we knew each other that way. It's because I knew Matt that way. It's because we had done that work together, just spent nights and days together in such close proximity and such development of self, cultivation of being, that I was, and Jordan and I were most prepared to deal with it, most prepared. And you know, I think that's, that's half of it. Half of it is also just being prepared with having spent a lot of time with the Tao and understanding ideas of non-attachment and that we don't own anything in this life. And that we all will return back to the source and we're all just part of this one source. And that's one way I love to describe it is that it's all one source. You know, whether you want to look at, you know, you think, you know, Jesus Christ is your Messiah or um, I'm drawing a blank on the um, Muslim. What's his name? <laughs> I can't remember his name. Muhammad. There you go. Muhammad. You know, whether you're a Muslim faith or whether you're of Hindu, you believe in the different Vedic things from Hinduism. 
sorry if, sorry if I'm messing up the terms there. I don't know a lot about that. You know, I don't know too much about that. But wherever, wherever you're coming from, I think it's all one source. And that's why I am so heavily drawn to the Tao because the Tao doesn't attach names. It doesn't attach labels. It doesn't attach groups. It doesn't attach uh, dictums and ways of doing things that must be done. It's, it's just a way of being. It's coming back to the source of things. So I feel like that's why Jordan and I were so uh, prepared for it. Now, now, so that that's what I saw. That's what I saw post-funeral. Now, I want to go forward, fast forward one year. Fast forward one year, the first anniversary of the death, we all got together, like a core cool group of us, like 15 of us. We went to Matt's parents' house and we had a barbecue. And that was interesting because the lads who were part of his kind of sporting groups, they, 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 were, they were fine. Like, they were fine. They didn't, they had recovered since then. But of course, the parents... Uh, was still, especially the father, especially the father was particularly distraught, particularly distraught. It's interesting how the mother was a lot more, kept it together a lot better throughout, not only the funeral process, but also the uh, the one year anniversary as well. And I felt that to be very interesting. So I'm not going to, so I'm going to fast forward even to now to last night, which is real, the real learns that I got and really wanted, why I wanted to sit down right now, even though I know this is going to be a shorter potter because I've really only got about another 15 minutes to go. I learned so much from sitting down with parents that have lost their child who took his own life two years later. I learned so much last night. It's, it's incredible. Like, where do I even begin? You know, it just started off with ideas of me just asking really light questions, you know, about, you know, how's everything going and, you know, what's been happening since then. And then eventually kind of diving in and every now and again, you know, mom will just start crying. And every now and again, dad will just start crying as they reminisce and they bring memories of, you know, Matt was like this and he was like that. And we used to do this. And I'm just sitting there. I'm just, I'm just trying to absorb the emotion of how people deal with death. And I think this is fascinating. I feel like this is my purpose in life. My purpose in life always comes down to learning. And that includes every facet of life. I need to understand what it's like to be a parent that's still living in this life and what's their motivations for living. You know, this is, I won't get into too many details, but I feel like this is really important. This is a real light bulb for me, which is that they, they didn't, they, I didn't prompt this. They just came out during a lot of their speaking, a lot of their stuff they were saying, which is that, I think the father started with this, which is that if we didn't have a daughter, so Matt's sister, if she wasn't around, then I probably would have just ended my own life. And now I know that sounds shocking. I know that sounds like, that sounds crazy, but maybe not. Maybe not. And I'm sitting there and I'm just sitting there on the couch, just, just, just keyed into the moment, just so locked in, just eye to eyes, just trying to understand. Also trying to like, just giving like, hmm, hmm, okay, what does that mean? So why is that? And I said to him, I'm, tr- I'm very, I'm really managing the boundaries here. I'm not trying to overstep the line, but I'm also trying to find out. And when he said, that if he didn't have his other daughter, and also the the wife, the mother agreed with this, and she's the one that is typically more is more uh, kept together. She's been able to keep her emotional state of being together more than the father has. Father is a lot more just breaking into tears left, right, and center. Uh, hold up, let me reset here. So she's holding it together as well. But what I'm noticing is that she's nodding along and agreeing as he's saying when when he said to me, "Excuse me." When he was saying that if he didn't, if they didn't have the daughter, then they would have no reason to get up. 
They would have no reason to go through life. You know, they distract each other and they distract themselves through work and through doing menial tasks. But I was feeling, I'm feeling the real pain as he's talking. There's so much pain in this room. And the way that he's talking is that there's no reason for living. And he's saying it. It's not even just like undertones. It's not even just subcommunications, which of course I'm feeling. But just on a communicated, verbal, logical level, he's literally telling me that he's not here if the daughter's not here. Like that the hole that was left by Matt taking his life was so great that they these two parents don't feel that they have any reason for living. That they don't have any reason for living. And, you know, like... There's a lot of long pauses here, not because I don't know what to say, but because nothing needs to be said. Just absorb that. As you're sitting there in front of these two parents that, you know, they lost their pride and joy, so to speak, not to say that the the daughter isn't also part of that, but as you can tell, a big part of their lives. And they're telling me to my face that they really don't want to be alive. The only reason they are alive right now is because their daughter is around and they need they need to be there for her. And it's and it's like confirmed. It's not ramblings. It's not uh ramblings probably the best word. It's not it's not some emotional fit. It's it's calculated. It's stuff they've thought about. It's stuff that they've come to peace with. And I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there and I'm and I'm just I'm just trying to feel it. I'm just trying to feel his emotions. And then finally, after a long pause, I feel like I was maybe stepping on borderlines, but I just said it with confidence. I said, why do you feel that way? You know, why is that? Why, why do you feel that life isn't worth living because Matt's not here? And also, do you think Matt would want that? And immediately they both said, no, no, of course not. He would never, he would never want his actions to weigh so heavily down upon us, but the pain's too great, Adam. The pain's just too great. And I'm just going, hmm. Mm. So when I'm thinking about this in post, when I'm driving home, I'm really just trying to absorb it all. I'm really just saying to myself, obviously the attachment, the attachment here is just, I've never felt anything like it. I've never sensed any attachment like it, and nor will I until I have my own children and and go through the same thing. And of course, it'll never be the same thing. Every experience in this life is unique to with to itself. You know that the relationship between Matt and his parents is it's so unique to just them. So I'll never, even if I went through similar on paper circumstances, I'll never know what that feels like. I can get close, right? And not that I want to, but I can get close. And, but I feel like regardless of that, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to tread lightly here, tread carefully here, that the source of their pain is definitely derived from attachment, is definitely derived to feeling like part of their being was within him. And so that now that his being is no longer here, they've lost and that there's a separation, there's a detach, there's a detachment from the source there you go detachment from the source and i'm feeling that but of course i'm not going to say that to them two years later the pain's still so fresh that's maybe one other idea i just want to throw out here towards the end towards we wrap up and we will do a part two because i'm only just scratching the surface here this might be in just an ongoing series throughout my entire channel just ideas on on life, ideas thoughts on on life and death but I'm not I'm not able to say what I'm saying right now to to these two because it's 
you know, there's waterworks. There's just, there's pain. There's so much pain in the room. And I'm not going to say it and like, you need to get a grip on this idea of not only would Matt not want this for you, like this, I know him, knew him so well, this is not the way that he would want for you, but also that the source of your pain has come is still because you're holding on to Matt. You haven't truly let go here. Of course, that's how it is, is objectively. That's how it is objectively. It's the same for when guys come at me after rough breakups. I can tell them to the cows come home. And they these guys aren't, they're not, they're not stupid either. Um, the mother even said to me, you know, we should have gone to counseling, but what are they going to tell us? Well, that we need to let go of Matt and that, that pretty much all the stuff that I just said. And she, so she acknowledges it, but she says that that's, it doesn't, it's, I don't feel like it's going to make a difference that it's just every day we wake up and it just hurts so much. So as I'm in the car home and I'm coming home from this and I'm going, so there's nothing really more that I could have said. I feel like my place in that position was just to be a blanket, just to be a blanket to absorb the tears, just to be a blanket to absorb the emotion. And I feel like I, it was probably a 90-10 split. I just really just sat there for 10% of the time just asking questions, just trying to elab- get them to elaborate, get them to speak things out. And this now leads me into my final point I want to say in this podcast that or this pod that I really wanted to get out, which is that and this is my like this is the kind of like the resounding thought in my mind as I was driving home, which is that I don't feel our current state of society has set us up to deal with death correctly. Now what I mean by that is that if you look at the way that we evolved, if you look at anthropology, evolutionary biology, and what we know and what we think we know about how tribes came about, about how we had tight-knit communities, or you know, you look at Dunbar's number of roughly 100 to 150 people, that we would get these communities together, and if it got any larger than that number, we'd split off and we'd create a new community. And we're in constant, a constant grip on who's who and the hierarchy, and that we've known this person from birth, and that we'll most likely know this person to death, and we'll never spend too much time away from each other, and that there's a support system, a real support system here. And that's how our brains have evolved for the majority of time. Like this separation of how I'm in my own house. I'm I'm in a house right now, and I have a neighbor. Even just the idea of that there's a neighbor, that doesn't, that doesn't really compute with my hard wiring. My brain is hardwired to have... Number one, no doors. This is something that I studied uh, in anthropology. Uh, I took a semester, I took a couple semesters on anthropology in my first year at uni. This is something I had to study in Polynesian tribes, Polynesian tribes, and also Northern Australian Aboriginal tribes and anthropological studies done in these tribes, which is that there is no sense of separateness. There is no separate uh, sense of ownership that, oh, this is my food, or this is my house, or this is my child. And this is very incredible stuff here that really opened my mind to this, that and that the my child one, that yes, there's there's a an I an understanding that this boy physically came through this mother. However, they're all part of the tribe, and that this is a boy of the tribe, and this is a mother of the tribe, and that when it came to sharing duties such as breastfeeding, all mothers breastfed, all children, and that when it came to sleeping quarters, it was all open format. There were no doors. There was no separateness. Everyone sleeps together in, in the same space. We all share the same food. So we all live together and we all die together. 
and that when the funerals came about, funerals, so to speak, that not only was def- definitely an animist idea in a lot of these tribes that, you know, we're all, we're all part of one. We're all part of connection to the environment, connection to everyone and every being around us. You know, you want to look at James Cameron's Avatar. He touches on those concepts and that one, my, my favorite movie of all time. Um, holy shit, we've got to wrap this up. We've got to wrap this up in two, three minutes. So, um, so what I feel like is that our current state of society has not equipped us to deal with death correctly. I feel like that when two parents lose their child, they should have 100 to 150 other people around them to speak with, to cry with, to mourn with, to be connected together, to support each other through it. And so when it's two years later and I'm sitting in front of these two parents that, you know, they've got cousins, they've got nephews, they've got brothers and their siblings that they would have had contact with. But as I'm coming in, I've come in, you know, I felt bad for a little bit and, I've, and I've re- I made a correction in my behavior that I shouldn't have waited a whole year to stay in contact with these two, that these two needed this conversation that I'm having with them right now, week, week by week fortnightly you know i needed to be i that's a mistake that i made i'm gonna make and i told them that you know i i should i'm sorry for spending taking a whole year away from this uh i'll give you guys a call when i get back from melbourne in a couple weeks you know make it more frequent let's catch up let's talk about this stuff because community and tribe is everything and that this also this sense of attachment this sense of loss is that that wouldn't be there if we all saw each other as one big tribe, one big community. No, and when I say that the sense of loss wouldn't be there, of course, that not in the way that it exists now in that this was my child. And that's where so much pain comes from. But if you have 100 to 150 other parents that we all parent to this child, so we share the communal pain, we share the communal sense of loss, and in which case I feel like, of course I don't know. Of course I don't know. I've never, I've never experienced living in that that way, but I just feel like, that the sense of pain and the mourning period would be resolved in a much more peaceful way because you've just got a much wider support system. And that's where I have to wrap this up, guys, because I've got a Skype call in literally eight minutes. This is part one. This is part one on my thoughts on life and death. Right? And I really only spoke about death today. I didn't speak much about life, which is interesting. I thought I was going to start with that. I thought I was going to speak with speak on the incredible shit that's happened in life and what life is, but... Of course, the death stuff happened last night, so we went on that. So uh, let me just reset this camera and I'll wrap it up. So if you did enjoy this podcast, guys, go ahead and drop a thumbs up on the video down below and really let me know your thoughts. Engage with me. Drop comments on the video down below. Send me DMs on Instagram at uitang1. That's where you're most likely to get me back. Uh, Snapchat updated their system and it's terrible for responding to messages now. So, you know, maybe don't send me deep shit on Snapchat anyway. But there's Facebook as well and all the links are down below to that but uitang1 on instagram most active at um all the links to my website balldojo.com booking one-on-one skype calls which i'm just about to do right now links to that down below balldojo.com boot camps ebook that shit and this is part one this is going to get deep and please share this with people that you think might benefit i really would appreciate that because i want to i want this tribal community stuff to spread out so thank you very much guys and we will get back to this i'm not sure when Probably very soon, actually, because I feel like we've only just touched the first 10%, maybe. So we'll get to it. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Much peace and much joy and the best life you could possibly have. Johnny.